We're continuing this summer in our study of the Psalms. And today we're in Psalm 115. Before, I, before we read this together, I want to remind you that uh, through July, we're going to be studying the Psalms. And then in August, Pastor Blake and I are going to be preaching on hot topics, whatever that might mean. So if you have an email that you've given us, you have received an email that with a little picture that says hot topics. I'm not exactly sure what's in that. It's something about fire. You click on that, and you can suggest to us anonymously what hot topics you might want to hear preached on in August. Okay, do y'all got it? Great. So with that knowledge, let's stand up. 15th Psalm. It's love in your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throats. Those who make them will become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the many things that's interesting to me about this psalm is that section in there where it's talking about the idols, right? So you have the different types of idols back in the day have, you know, they would construct them out of metal, out of clay. And here the psalmist is saying they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have hands, but they don't touch. And to some of us, that may seem very far away. But I want to share with you just a brief story about how that's actually very close. Um, I've been here at Trinity for almost a year now. So that's great. I haven't finished this first Oklahoma summer. Pray for me, okay? Uh, we just got back from Colorado with the youth. Um, Colorado is beautiful, and we got out here, and we got out of the car, and we were wet. So seriously, pray for us. So here's the story about the idols. Most of us don't have idols in our houses, Christian or non-Christian, here in Oklahoma, in the United States. That's not the case all over the world. Uh, 
before I was here at Trinity, I was in youth ministry, or excuse me, in college ministry at Lehigh University. So it's in Eastern Pennsylvania. And I worked, as it turns out, with a lot of international students. And a number of those international students had families in their home countries in Eastern Asia who actually had idols. And had one student who would tell me that her grandmother taught her how to pray to these idols. There was a special nook in one of the rooms that was kind of clothed off. And her grandmother, several times a day, but definitely every morning, every night, would walk in, close the curtain behind her, and pray to these idols. As it turns out, these idols are representations of former ancestors, which we close it off, go in and pray to these idols, her ancestors, and come out. And I asked her, so I asked the student, I said, so what is this, like, what does this mean? What does this look like over the course of the years? And she said, you know, actually, it's really kind of funny. She goes in there and she prays. And I remember her doing that at a very young age. But now she just spends most of her time in there anyways. Kind of like she remains in the shadows, praying to her ancestors. Well, how does that make you feel? She goes, you know, she goes, it feels like as a grandchild, I've been abandoned by my grandmother for things on a shelf. So it's a very interesting story. Um, for us, I think as Americans, because we typically don't, or even in a house ever, that has quote-unquote idols in that form. Yet this psalm talks about idols very specifically, and we're going to get into that because it applies in very, very intense and specific ways in our lives. So what we're going to look at today really is four things. We're going through the psalm piece by piece. The first three verses, what we want to see is that the Lord is declared king, the second, that idolatry is deemed folly. The third, that the church is directed to trust. And the fourth is that the Lord delivers on his promises. So the first three verses, take a look at them. The Lord is declared king. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. You know, one of the things about something like this, before I was a Christian, I actually read this psalm, and you know what immediately came to my mind? God is a megalomaniac. Because if you said this, or if we said this to you, or you said this about yourself, that's exactly how you would sound, right? Not to you, not to you, but to me give glory. I mean, that sounds like the, the ravings of a lunatic. But that's not the case if we look at this closely. First, he is God. He can do as he pleases, as it says. But look at what happens next. Look at the second part of verse 1. Why are we to give glory to God alone and not to ourselves? Because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. God is not calling us to make much of him just for no reason whatsoever. The reason that we're giving God the glory, not to us, but to his name, is because of what he's done in salvation. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. This word steadfast love in Hebrew, chesed. Can you guys say that? Chesed. If you're not spitting on your neighbors, you're doing it wrong. Chesed, right? 
It is God's loyal, covenantal love that he has for his people. Think of it in this way. Parents, the way that you love your kids different than any other kid. That's the type of love that God has for his children. For the sake of his steadfast, his covenantal love and his faithfulness. His faithfulness being he will never let us go. Once you are in Jesus, there is not a sin that you can commit, a deed that you can do that will cause Jesus to release you. He will forever have you and hold you. And so the psalm is telling us to give glory to him and him alone because of what he has done in salvation. What have we done in salvation? Nothing. There's nothing that we've done to earn salvation. I mean, all of our sins separate us from God. All of our so-called righteousness, as we read in the confession, they're just filthy rags. They further remove us from God. And so the psalm is telling us to give glory to him because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, 1800s London Baptist preacher, he said this. He says, if you meet with a system of theology which magnifies man— flee from it as far as you can. So here's, here's a test. Here's a test, maybe for your own heart or maybe for the church. How do we know if the church is giving glory to God and not itself? How do we know? When you walk out of a service, do you feel better about yourself or do you feel better about who God is? Do you feel better about yourself or do you feel better about who God is? Is the message that you hear, and not just from the sermon, but all around, is the message that you hear about people trying harder? Or is it about a righteous God who saves the ungodly? Is the message about you know, helpful life rules that, that may improve your life? Or is the message about making Jesus known and clear and beautiful? Is it about a Savior who chases after wandering sheep? We need to be very clear, both in our church and in ourselves, who we're making much of. Is it ourselves or is it God? Not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory. Here's the problem. You and I, we don't do that. Not all the time. Maybe not even some of the time. Which leads us into the second part of the psalm, verses 4 to 8. In a way, this is kind of like a confession of sin in the psalm. Because there's no way that you and I can read verses 1 to 3 and go, yep, I do that all the time. It just doesn't happen. So in 4 to 8, we see that idolatry is deemed folly. Idolatry is deemed folly. The idols are silver and gold, verse 4, the work of human hands. Okay, they've, they've got mouths, they have ears, noses, all these things, but they can't do anything. So it's clear to see that they, they can't speak, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't smell, they can't walk. 
So you and I, maybe, as 21st century people, would look at this and say, why would anyone worship something so ludicrous? Why would that happen? Might we define an idol a different way? When we think about idols, typically, we think about the statues, small or big. But what, what really is an idol in the Bible? An idol is anything in my life that occupies a, occupies a place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything in my life that occupies a place that should be occupied by God alone. Or, let's put it another way. An idol is you saying, if I have that, whatever that is, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. I know that I'm significant or I'm secure if I have X, whatever that X is. And you know what? Sometimes these things are good, but they're just good things made ultimate. You know, I, can I share an idol with you of mine? And this is, um, let's say, an ongoing idol uh, with me and my wife, but mostly me. If I have a house on a lake that has tons of bass in it, and I have a boat, then I will feel like my life has meaning and joy and value, and it will be wonderful. Now, that's, I'm not joking. That's maybe number one idol for me. Um, is a lake, or is a house on a lake with lots of bass in it, is that a bad thing? No. No, of course not. The thing is, though, when that takes first place, then it becomes an idol. We can make idols out of anything, right? The way that we look, our work, our education, our recreation. We can make idols out of our spouse, our children, our extended family. Um, We can make idols out of our achievement. You know, there's all sorts of things. But most of the time when we think about these idols, I believe, we think about them in terms of surface idols, right? My idol of a house on a lake with a bass that's a surface idol. What's underneath it? You see, most of our idols, whatever they may be, whether they're good, like a really important good job, there's something underneath that idol. There's a deep idol. You and I, most of the time, when we see our idols, what we see are the trees. We don't see the roots underneath it. We don't see those deep idols. So what are, what are, what are these deep idols? And really, I can, give you, I can give you four. Comfort, approval, control, and power. Why do I want a house on a lake with the bass? Because I want comfort. That's what I want. Why do you overwork at your job? Maybe because you want power. Why do you avoid 
Let's say, why do you avoid like particular things in your life? Because you want people to approve of you. You don't want to be seen with this person. You don't want to be seen doing X, Y, or Z. Behind every idol on the surface is an idol in the deep. You know, power, control, approval, or comfort. You know, I've actually wondered, and Americans, I think most of us really, really struggle with this comfort thing. You know, this is why, uh, this is why gated communities exist. Because of comfort. So we don't want to feel threatened. Um, I wonder if comfort's the reason why, do you, why we don't send out more missionaries. But anyways, that's, that's for another conversation. But man, these things are there. You know, these deep, deep idols, comfort, approval, control, and power. And you and I, we've got those. We do not have these statues in a specific room that we go and worship. But brothers and sisters, we have got these idols in the background. And it's important for us to recognize these and to call them out as idols. But then look at verse 8. Look at the text. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust them. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to read that preparation on page 3, where N.T. Wright talks about how we actually become like our idols. You know, that's, that's actually the subject of a Thomas Merton poem, where he says this. He says, every man becomes the image of the God that he adores. He whose worship is directed to a dead thing becomes dead. He who loves corruption rots. He who loves a shadow becomes himself a shadow. He who loves things that must perish lives in dread of their perishing. What does this say about our idols? You know, what does this text say about our idols. And, you know, kind of as we think about these deep idols in our lives, what do we learn? I think we learn a few things. First, that our idols are blinding. We don't actually recognize that they're idols because it just kind of seeps up on you, seeps up on you slowly, deceitfully almost. So first is blinding. Second, they're consuming. In the story that I shared about my student's grandmother, at first when she was little, she would spend a few times a day praying to her idols. And over time, she would spend most of her day in there. That's the way that idols are. They want more and more and more of you until they have all of you. So that's the second thing. The third thing is the idols are enslaving, but they're secretly enslaving. You know, we, we, act, we can act like we're free from our idols, but we walk around with invisible shackles. You know, they're always kind of drawing us back to themselves. Um, and so this verse is teaching, you guys have heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? This is saying, you will become what you worship. You will become like what you worship. And so with that contrast, you see what's happening here. There is only two choices. All of the idols in this camp, comfort, approval, control, power, whatever that is, and in this camp alone, God. And the psalm is saying, 
Choose you this day whom you will worship. Will you continue to give yourself over to your idols? Or will you trust and worship the one thing that can actually do something? You see, the thing about idols is they can never, they can never deliver on what they promise, right? If I want approval and I keep seeking approval, when will I ever get enough? I mean, it's, it's unslakeable. You can't satisfy it. I could get approval from all of you. Wonderful. Well, then what's next? I want approval from the people at the grocery store. Then what's next? Then I want approval from my extended family, maybe. And then what's next? I want approval from everyone in town. Then what's next? I want approval from the country and I run for president. And then if you run for president, lots of people aren't going to like you. But then you want approval from everyone else. What am I actually chasing? It's never going to satisfy. And we could do that with every aisle in our lives. It's just never going to satisfy. So take a look at where the text takes us. Idols are shown or deemed to be worthless and folly. But then in verses 9 through 12, look where it takes us. The church, Israel, we are directed to trust. Look at this. O Israel, trust in the Lord. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. An idol can never deliver on his promises. His promises of peace, of joy, of happiness, it just won't happen. But here, we are directed in the text to put our trust in someone who does and can keep promises. And look, three times, what is he called? He is their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to fight idols, fight against idols in our lives, you and I need help and we need protection. Because when you fight an idol, it's like fighting, a, it's like fighting an actual battle where you have offense and defense. You need someone beside your side in the trench who is for you. And here, the Lord is saying, look, I know that you have idols, but I am for you. He is your help. He is helping you in the process, and he is your shield. He is fighting back the darts of the evil one on your behalf because he wants you not to trust in idols but in him. That's what he's calling us to here. And then take a look at verses 12 through 18. We're directed to trust. Why should we trust him? 12 to 18, because he delivers on his promises. Number four, the the Lord delivers on his promises. You see, it says, the Lord has remembered us, and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And he goes on and on. And then we have a response to that. Why is this important in understanding the rest of the psalm? We're called back here in verses 12 through 18 of the history of God's dealings with people With the house of Israel, he will bless the house of Aaron. This is some 400 years ago that he's he's remembering this. So how does this interact with the fact that you and I struggle constantly with idols? As you and I engage with our idols, it's important to know that we have a God who wants us to turn from them. 
and not in a way that he looks at us and he says, if you don't turn from your idols, you're going to be in big trouble, buddy. He wants us to turn from them in a way, acknowledging that they're there, but that he is faithful. He wants you to win. He wants you to trust in Jesus. He wants you to uproot those idols. Think of them as a plant. What happens if you uproot a weed and you leave that ground bare? More weeds come in. He wants you to uproot the idol and replace it with the love of Jesus. That's what he wants you to do. And so here he is calling you to remember that he delivers on his promises. There is not one of us who has been called into Jesus that he will let go. Some of us are struggling with idols that are deep and decades old. Have you ever tried to rip out just a really tall dandelion? It is a bear, right? It is a bear to rip out. And sometimes it takes multiple, multiple attempts. And sometimes it takes Roundup. But that's Roundup is not found in today's text, so we're not going to go there. But as we try to attempt to pull these up, brothers and sisters, Jesus is for us because he delivers on his promises. For instance, let's take a look. The four deep idols that I mentioned previously. The first one, comfort. Look at verse 12. How does he address our deep idol of comfort? The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. Have you ever felt, maybe this as a Christian or before, have you ever felt just really alone? I mean, just desperately alone. Have you ever felt just hopeless? What you need in that moment is comfort. This is a very brief phrase in verse 12, but listen to how it enters into that. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. Past tense, he has remembered you. Future tense, he will bless you. So we all desire comfort in one way or another. And he is saying, I can meet that need. So the next deep idol that we see that we talked about approval. Look at this at the end of verse 12, actually. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Now, how does that speak to approval, right? Here's how the way it works with God. God doesn't approve. He doesn't approve, then just choose to bless. He blesses those he's already approved of. It is not conditional. If you're, he has chosen you, he has brought you into Jesus, he approves of you, and therefore he blesses you. Do you see it here? He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Why is he blessing them? Because they already have his approval. Because they are his. And you recall, he's calling, he's saying, I will bless you. And the reason why is because you're already approved. The blood of Jesus speaks on your behalf. You have been called a child of the living God. And that's not a title that's ever revoked or ever removed by anything in all of creation. So you have approval. The third deep idol we see here is control. 
You guys know what that is, kind of this deep bottle of control. Some of us really struggle with this. We want everything to turn out just so, and we walk around our lives with our fists clenched. Verse 16, look at it. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. You remember the way that the earth was created in Genesis 1. God created everything, and then he created man, and he says, look, you got two jobs, really. To be fruitful and multiply, so to have children, and to fill the earth and have dominion over it. So, use it for what, it's, use it for what you need it for, take care of it, and that's it. How does this speak to our deep idol of control? Well, in one sense, God has given us the job of being in control, of taking dominion, of being a good dentist, of being a good engineer, of being a good teacher. We are taking control in that way. But here's another thing. We are just stewards. He's the real one in control. When we sense that idol really speaking to us, and we really want to grasp for that control, we can do this and know that the universe isn't going to fall apart because he's the one in control. Actually, you guys know when we do the benediction here, we do it with open hands. We're releasing our control. We're saying, not to us, but to you. I'm laying down my rights here, and I'm entrusting myself and my life to you with open hands. And then finally, take a look at it. Deep, con- uh, we talked about comfort, approval, control, and the last one, some of us just have this deep idol of power. Look at verse 15. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, though we may want power, we can rest in the fact that our Father has power. He made heaven and earth, right? That's, by the way, that's higher than your company ladder goes, the maker of everything. That's, that's of more value than what's in your 401k. That's so much more than anything. And we can rest knowing that he is both powerful and good. So you can see, as we just look at this psalm, both more in depth and from a brief point of view, first, God is God. He is worthy of our worship. Second, you and I are all idolaters. We are at the heart. John Calvin, the reformer, he called our hearts idol factories. We constantly turn them out. It is ours to acknowledge them and to give them over to the Lord and ask him to help and to work in us. Third, we're called to, we're called to trust him. When you see these idols being churned out, brothers and sisters, when you see these deep idols rear their ugly heads, trust him. Don't trust your idols. And then fourth and finally, he will deliver on his promises. He has, he has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's even in your idols, even in your wandering. He has promised to be there for us. So it's very interesting to me still that there are people who, like my student's grandmother, who worship these idols. However, in some ways, and in a strange way, it gives us a glimpse into the future. 
Because there will be a day when you and I worship something physical, face-to-face, but it's a real person. It's Jesus. So we look forward to that, and we'll talk about that more in the supper in just a little bit. Well, we will be worshiping not an idol, but it won't be invisible. We will see him, and we will embrace him. So let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you that you take care of us and you love us. I thank you that there is freedom, that we can acknowledge our idols before you. I mean, just like in our confession of sin today, we don't have to hide from you as if you don't know. We don't have to fear your disapproval because we know that Jesus is for us. Thank you for your smiling face upon us. Father, give us strength to be able to find these idols and then turn them over to you and to trust you and to live in such a way that reflects your faithfulness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.